0: Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project, I'm your host, Riccardo Silvestre. And today I'll be speaking with Christian Varga. She's a freelancer and a Trends of the Future researcher, and she's working with NEOs Lab, the political foundation of NEOs in Austria, in the production of a publication on the welfare state in Europe. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of October. Christiane Wage. Christian, thank you so much for coming to the podcast.
1: Hi, Ricardo. Thanks for having me here.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here in a very important moment because I asked Christian to talk to me about the welfare state and um, actually it connects very nicely to a work that we are doing together with NEOs Lab. But before that, let's talk a little bit about you. You are a freelancer, you work in Trends of Future, and see how things are going, where things are going. How did you get interested in this area?
1: Oh well I studied uh, sociology in Munich so I am generally very interested in observing society, yeah. how is society is changing, um, what kind of new ways of living and working and of course what kind of new mindsets are evolving. Um, so um, yeah, this field is, is pretty interesting for me. And I didn't knew that there's something like a trend and future forecast <laughs> work back then. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I found that out. And so I focused on this field. And I really love the multidisciplinary um, point of view in, in the trend and future forecast field. Yes.
0: Why are you a freelancer? in a way that you don't want to get too compromised with some kind of organization that has a policy goal and a view of what you should do? Is it more comfortable for you to, you know, go wherever you want to go regarding research in this trends of future topic, which is fascinating? What is the main driver in that decision?
1: Mm. Yeah, interesting question. Uh, well, it is something like that, of course, but on a Higher level um on a much lower level, it is like I'm not willing to go like every day to one spot mm-hmm. and one area to to work and to sit uh, like nine to five on on my um desk because it's very important for me for my brain <laughs> to to do different things and and to not have so much routines. So um, this independent aspect is very important for me. And I think uh, it's very linked to this kind of work because uh, you always have to go, and it's a lot of intuition as well, um, where something is happening, where you have the feeling, okay, there is something changing. I uh, want to, to go there and observe it and talk talk to people and to go to areas and, and feel the change somehow. So um, it's very logical and natural for me that, for me, uh, the, um, yeah, the way of living and working, because it's, the lines are very blurred, of course, and I can't separate it, um, is, is combined in this form of, of work.
0: This is fascinating for our uh, listeners. A little peek. On the uh, back the curtain, when we do this podcast, I was talking with Christiane, and she said that you do research in trends of future, like I uh, introduced you before the podcast. And I, my mind was just like, "Oh, <laughs> we should just that will be a podcast on itself, and it will be." I will invite you to come back. But now we're going to talk about welfare in Europe, which is also very important, and you're doing a lot of work. On that and some countries m- most of the countries I would say in the European Union and I live in one of those uh, we are very worried about what direction of the welfare state in Europe is going the, it seems like the systems where the welfare state in Europe were based with comprehensive benefits with the system that was made to be self-sustained in a way that we can't guarantee it anymore these systems are failing now. Why is that?
1: Mm, Yeah, true. Uh, Well, in in one sentence, (laughs) it's because the, the classic model of this welfare system, of the social security, is based on a social structure of society that no longer exists. So society is changing so tremendously in every aspect and this model is based on an old form and um, this old form is less complex, is less global, is less interconnected in terms of digitalization and so on, and mainly is less individu- individualized. So these old structures do not correspond to the new parameters and that is resulting in various implications such as these new huge um, gaps in financing, basic social security, for example. And, um, yeah, although there are, of course, differences in the way the benefits and healthcare systems and so on um, are organized in the uh, respective EU countries, so um, our society is undergoing this profound change, the demographic change, the effects of digitalization on the world of work. Um, there are, like, much more insecure, fragmented life path, and there's a much higher mobility globally, but in the European Union uh, very much, uh, obviously, and there are declining birth rates, uh, and these all Make like constant pressure on the, the social and health systems of the European country, and um, in an environment of economic uncertainty, uh, this financial mm-hmm. viability is increasingly becoming a challenge. We have the COVID-19 pandemic now, and um, yeah, there's a lot of going on, and the the old system is under a very high pressure because of these effects.
0: Good, you you brought up. Uh, several of those um, pressure points that we have in the system. Let's try to focus for our listeners in, let's say, one or two that you think that are really, really important to Mm -hmm. better understand and to follow. Uh, Which one? Insecurity, mobility, uh, the decrease of birth rate, which is, of course, very interesting. People are getting older and more healthy. They will Maintain in a system longer. What you mentioned, just for example, economic uncertainty. So, it, in this ones, Christian, which will be the one or two that you say. This ones will definitely will make the system uh, fold.
1: I think the the base of all of that is the individualization of, of lifestyles, in comparison to the typical industrialized forms of of life and living and working. This was pretty linear. And this is now getting very uncertain and very fragmented. Um, You have an enormous expansion of new life concepts of different careers in one life. And this results in different market needs as well, of course. So instead of normal biographies in this sense of like class cultural identities and this conventional ways of life, they're very individually life plans, and in the sociology, for example, you call this the uh, elective biographies. Um, so this results in multi-biographical lives in patchwork families, couples living apart together, increasing amounts of singles, and um, of course, to a higher level of mobility or migration. And uh, this is one really huge factor of change. And of course, it's inherent that it's not that predictable. So it's a it's a great factor of, of this. And on top of that, or yeah, interconnected, there is the demographic change and the aging society, as you already mentioned. So this phenomenon is global. The, the aging of the population is one of the most significant trends of the 21st century and it has far-reaching consequences for all areas of society. Of course that means labor and financial markets, the demand for goods and services uh, such as housing, transportation, uh, social protection, care, the whole family structure and system and of course the integrational uh, ties, intergenerational ties, I'm sorry. And this is so interesting uh, because you mentioned it as well It's not only that we are, the societies are getting older and older but at the same time people are aging much later than in previous generations. So we have a popularity of old people but they're still young and healthy in comparison to, to the decades before. And um, the the population, maybe this is interesting as well, as a a fact and figure, the population aged uh, uh, 65 plus, 65 and older, is growing faster than all other age groups globally, on a global level. Mm. And the third, um, and I think last main driver, and, and this changes, is the economic transformation, um, the huge change in the labor markets, uh, mainly driven by digitalization, obviously. So um, that means on a personal, individual level, level, that the lines between work and home, and homework and paid work are more blurred than ever. This everything corresponds no longer to the norm to be employed by one employer for many years in a full workload. Um, but to have different forms of work and um, different uh, forms of yeah, em- employment relations. And this is a huge factor in yeah co- combining all these aspects in, in, um, in the context of uh, social security systems and welfare state systems.
0: So with this uh, great explanation from your part, it is... Obvious that we need to rethink the way that welfare is delivered in Europe and for Europeans. But of course, at the same time, trying to maintain what is one of the pillar of social rights in Europe, which actually it's been with us since the, the World Wars and um, it's been serving us so well. There are different ways, and we will be talking, and you just mentioned digitalization. I'm going to challenge you to talk a little bit about what is called network society. But before that, then, how do we solve uh, this crisis that we have in in the system?
1: Yeah, of course, that's the main question. <laughs> and the, the key question, uh, so to say. Um, so, of course... I'm a sociologist, <laughs> I, my point of view is the societal change and uh, we we describe it as well in, in the study with the NEOS lab that uh, we're going, the whole structure of society is changing and it leads to a so-called network society and a pretty famous sociologist, uh, Dirk Becker, I mentioned this, um, this term and um, so there is a transition into network society and we do not make this transition, it it happens anyhow. So the question is more how can we adapt to this transition, to this principle of network and how can we use the interaction between the interplay and this change to establish and to design new forms of living and and working, to to cope with all this um, complexity in in society and in individual lives, because individual lives as well are much more complex uh, than a couple of years before, and uh, society as a whole is much more complex. So the main structure, it's pretty logical that it must be the network somehow, because with the structure of the network, you can deal much better with these uh, things and with the uh, uh, complexity, so it's important to see um, society like as a comprehensive system, as an operating system, as a work in progress system, always and permanently. Um, and that means that the physical state of it is fluid, and that also shows that society is not some something constructed, a constructed object, um, where you fix it once and then the status quo is, is fixed for a longer period of time. This will not function anymore. Um, so the, the basic mindset should be, and in my opinion, uh, these kind of uh, network thinking. And um, based on that, the power of institutions, the power of politics, Maybe the power or not maybe but the power of companies as well of global companies is not that huge anymore. Um, but it, it can be huge, but depending on the the topic and depending on um, the the advantages and disadvantages we have to deal with. So the whole structure is changing in this direction.
0: But I find very interesting what you just mentioned, and that is it's inevitable. So the change is here and we have to adapt, which goes a little bit against a conservative view. And uh, we're not going to go too much into the politics of it, conservative view or a liberal view. But I think you added something really interesting to the conversation, and that is we have to change. The, the changes here is here. We just have to adapt to it. So... Continuing this thought then, you just mentioned the importance of adapting to a network society. One of the things that you also are working on is how to add what is called the fourth sector to uh, the system. And can you go into that and please, can you elaborate a little more to our listeners? What are the other three sectors if this is a fourth one?
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because um, there are seems to be a fourth sector. It's not something that is constructed by an institution or something, but it's evolving right now. And uh, so we we can observe as well that there is a three sector shift. And the three sectors, um, this is how our society is organized. um, As well, uh, divided into separate functional systems, mainly in these three sectors. The first one is uh, politics, public services. The second one is the market, companies. And the third sector, There are these um, NGOs, um, these non-profit organizations. Till now, the three sectors all contribute, at least in in parts, (laughs) to the well-being of the general public. You You can say that. So companies create jobs. They strengthen locations and, um, yeah, thus promote prosperity. NGOs provide services to society as an alternative to public and private institutions. And of course, the state provides services to society, social security, for example, uh, with these wide range of health and education services a portal shift in our uh, basic social structure away from the separate functional systems to a more complex network. Um, This adjusts um, new thinking, which is more complex. And if you understand this um, comprehensively, a social change is crucial. And now we can observe um, with a lot of uh, grassroots movements, for example, that society is organizing um, itself somehow, depending on uh, yeah w- what happens. Really, main example now with the um, COVID-19 pandemic, um, that there were, was a lot of neighborhood help and a lot of yeah self-organization in, in society, and so. One can observe that there is something like a fourth sector evolving, um, which means, of course, this fourth sector is not separately, but it interacts with the um, with the three sectors that already exists, and. Of course, here as well, the lines are blurred. So you have this social entrepreneurship, for example. You have this uh, voluntary work. Sometimes you get money for it, sometimes not. Um, so it, it's not that much separated anymore. And now the task, but as well the opportunity for the future, could and would be to interact much more uh, in between these four Areas, the four sectors, uh, to deal with like disruptive elements to to deal with as well more local and individual um, problems or uh, things that are evolving. Yeah idea and, and whole movement would change the the general <clears throat> structures that that we have now. And of course, I mean, this is a global phenomenon as well in Europe um, more than ever that new forms of social participation and self-organization are emerging in today's society and uh, they are positioning themselves much more independently. Yeah, because uh, now I I get more the point because these forms, they, they fit neither into the organizational logic of the market, nor in the state, nor in the third sector. Because they act as a network. And of course, um, digitalization uh, digital platforms uh, are a huge driver to interact and to um, yeah to organize these networks. And um, these networks, they can be uh, permanent, but mostly they are temporary because if something is solved, A thing or problem and then they they're not together anymore.
0: Let me drill a little more into this fourth sector then and because this podcast one of the objectives is to provide to our listeners uh, tools to be more active and to make a difference. So when you think about this fourth sector and and you think about all these networks uh, that are created are you thinking more like an individual and another individual or are we thinking about like bubbles like for example a, a town or a, a little village because this is different from the third sector which is ngos so th- th- that is the point that you're making and that is kind of a grassroots movement and organize itself and then interacts with the other sectors and with that shapes the system did i get that right
1: yes totally mm-hmm. it's so interesting because uh, these things are both it's not the neither nor but it's the as well as so they are very local because people are taking a look what is happening in my hometown what is happening in my quarter and then they act they want to act this is very linked to our individualized society because this is a um yeah major wrong thinking that is more individual we get, the more egoistic we get. That's totally not true because we're all humans as well in the future and we're social um, people, yeah so we need the more individual we get, the more we need to have interactions with um, yeah our our neighbors or other people with a um, similar mindset. There are new com- communities evolving and as well co-living things and so on and it's both it's local but it can be globally as well because everything is interconnected and because um, yeah if if I read one example from like a grassroots movement or a little idea it, it don't has to be this huge new things but but Uh, nice ideas where people help each other and I read it uh, in the internet or on social media. Um, It's very very local where it happens but now I adapt it in in my place as well and this can be in a totally other country and I can be a really different person but um, I can find that the idea is pretty nice and um, I can have a similar mindset. Uh, so this this functions and this is meant by complexity, complexity is not complicated, it's more complex, but it can be, um, when you go more into it, it can be more simple as well because it's, it's not that hierarchical uh, anymore and it's not that that you need a lot of time to do something, you can do it right now.
0: Unfortunately we're not going to have we're not going to be able to finish this conversation in this podcast but I'm going to definitely ask you to come back. And I want to talk about universal basic income still during this last minutes but what are the rules of engagement then using a very uh, known uh, expression from the military and that is how the fourth sector even if it is networked so I learned something on a digital platform. Someone is doing this in this city, and I think this is great for my city. And then this will reverberate through the system that goes all the way to the welfare. But what are the rules of engagement? Are there yet to be defined? So how does the fourth sector interact, for example, with the first one or with the second one? Is this yet to be drawn? Do you see already some trend lines going on? Uh, will there be different rules for different places and for different countries and for different systems? Uh, can you answer that in 30 seconds, please?
1: <laughs> oh, I yes, I try. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> um, I think there, there need to be different rules now. And I think they need to be... Uh, local as well so this is the thing there is some work now to do (laughs) to define it and to reshape it but it's so nice because uh, um, there is this new interaction between like an individual and an NGO or like with an individual with a great idea and a company and companies are much more open and institutions are much more open than a couple of years before is the time for an interaction and a um, conversation um, between um, these these people, or institutional or individuals talking and they are evolving new concepts, uh, there is much more transparency, so they they can say to the world, okay, here, take a look at it, maybe you can uh, take something from it. It doesn't have to be the same thing, but you can uh, take it and adopt it for your local area. So this is the way, um, yeah, these things are working, I think, in the future.
0: Wonderful. You and me, we're going to draw up a map of interactions and we'll send it out to the public.
1: Yeah, I love you.
0: <laughs> one thing that we see uh, very often, and I've been seeing this, for example, in different uh, countries in Europe and Portugal is one of them. It's the conversation about what is called the, u- the universal basic income. Uh, this is presented as a solution, but there are people who don't believe in that because of some um, some experiments that failed, some experiments that worked. So tell us a little bit: what is the status right now of universal basic income as one of the parts of this moving uh, system that we have?
1: Yeah, of course, um, the the demand for this unconditional basic income is is uh, pretty fresh now, right now again. And it's discussed in the political debate very intensely. And there are very a lot of mm-hmm. opinions. Um, but, of course, in the current COVID-19 pandemic, again, this discussion about this unconditional basic income has taken on new relevance because um, there are a lot of employees affected by short-time work or even job loss. Uh, Self-employed and freelancers in in certain sectors, especially, are on the verge of bankruptcy um, due to the lack of orders. And so there are different models again and overlapping elements in discussing this whole structure and the design of this universal basic income. Um, Again, I think, I I mean, obviously it's very um, important to discuss it, but I think the main um, advantage is that you can't install it in the current model. Um, you can't install it and leave everything else like it is now. And I think that's the reason why the, the experiments. There are some experiments. Uh, one very um, but one very uh, known is the Finnish uh, experiment on income. Which is good. I'm really <laughs> for experience, um, but this was a really short time, and there were not that many uh, participants, so it, it's good for for a start. Uh, but you can't say okay because it was like that and that in this experiment it works or it doesn't work. Mm. If you want to install it, you have to to change or rethink the whole system. And uh, I think that is important. And in my opinion, you have to start as well in in school or at school to to see what is, I mean, it's a little philosophical uh, question, what is the sense of life or the sense of life for an individual, how is work defined? And there is not such the answer, I think in terms of the universal basic income as well. And we have to discuss as a society how do we want to live in the future just to, to go back a, a few steps to discuss this really huge thing and uh, then in this yeah, new aspects and in this reshaping society um, yeah the universal basic income can be one uh, really good factor but it's so important to understand that we can't implement it right now in this system we have to to change the systems as a whole and to rethink the whole systems
0: that was why i got so fascinated with your kind of research which is trends of the future because exactly what you just said right now and that is we have to think of the future and we have the tendency of just not thinking about what's coming up, just doing the as you were saying, doing the the same thing over and over, not anticipating change, not adapting to change. And I'm very happy that I had you on the podcast. Very happy for the work you do, because one of you are one of this one of these people on the front lines, warning us that we need to be aware of change and to adapt to that change. I'm definitely going to ask you to come back to the podcast because I will still. Uh, want to uh, go over the auto-interact between fourth sector and the other sectors, but we'll leave that to another conversation. But from now, I'm going to ask you to tell us where can people follow your work?
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ricardo. Um, yeah, they can just visit my website, which is com, and uh, there uh, they they can see uh, yeah my, my principles of, of work, And, uh, of course, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn, for example, as well with my name, Christiane (laughs) Varga.
0: All right. I'm going to put all the descriptions on the show notes. And I'm going to thank you again so much, Christiane, for talking to me.
1: Thanks, Ricardo. It was a pleasure.
0: back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify and if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this month of October. On the 26th of October, based in Prague in the Czech Republic, but it's an online workshop, we have the event Improving Communication on Human Rights. To do their work, human rights defenders need to be able to perform their activities unhindered and exercise their rights fully. Unfortunately, the safety of these human rights defenders is not guaranteed everywhere in the European Union. This event is a five-day tailor-made workshop that will show you how to use audio, visual and storytelling with techniques that work in creative teams to get your message across and provide you with a practical takeaway for managing social media and media relations. Participants will also get a hands-on experience on creating a video series on the work of human rights. And then on the 29th of October, we have two events on the same day. One, it's called Expert Forum, Social Policy, Liberal White Book, Europe 2030. European welfare states are increasingly strained by various forces, as we just discussed with Christian Varga including changes in the nature of work, family structures, aging of society and the transformation towards complex, articulated communities whose needs are constantly changing. We need to re-examine how we educate our citizens and how we organize our labour markets in a way that ensures both protection of workers but also that the European Union is competitive in a global scale. This expert forum brings together scholars, researchers and policymakers to discuss possible and liberal answers on how the welfare system can be restructured with these challenges in mind. Looking at Europe 2030, it seems clear that our society should evolve together with these profound changes. Starting together, it's the only path to ensure a future for all. And then on the same day, an online We have On the Agenda, this is the eighth webinar, and it's about the EU-Russia relations. These relations have never been an easy affair, especially following years of conflict in the Eastern Partnership countries. Then recently, Vladimir Putin supported Alexander Lukashenko in Belarus, also tried to poison Alexei Navalny, and this has started a debate over new sanctions towards Russia. As Europe's biggest and most populous neighbor, it is realistic to expect any improvement in the relationship between these two blocks. This is going to be an event that starts at 9.30 and goes all the way to 10.30 Central European time. To know more about this event, just go to our webpage, liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal (laughs) Liberal (laughs) Forum.